WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the writer of DC Comics The Flash, the DC animated feature Batman Soul of the Dragon, and co writer of the DC animated feature Justice Society World War II with a uh, very recent guest, Megan Fitzmartin. It is Jeremy Adams. Welcome, Jeremy. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you guys for having me on. Absolutely. So uh, first time, first question for first time guests. Uh, what are some of the first comics that you remember reading? Um, the first comic, I actually have it somewhere back here. It's an old detective comics. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's the first appearance of Killer Croc. Maybe not. Anyways, I had gone to the doctor and got a shot. And of course, as, as, as you did at that age, you would immediately go to 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee and <laughs> get the dinner rack. And um, I got this detective comics and I remember it it's the earliest one I can remember because uh, it scared the crap out of me because Killer Croc was an assassin. He wasn't like this bestial the guy. He was like a guy in a trench coat that was trying to kill people with a gun. And, um, and Jason Todd was in it, but he had blonde hair. And um, it was like, it was super weird. Uh, and I, I eventually went back and found it because I was like, it, it was the one that stuck in my head. So that was the earliest comic I remember reading. I was really young because my dad um, drew some comics for DC way back in the day. And so I, so comic books and superheroes was always kind of around, you know, he didn't do many, but I remember being like totally obsessed. And when my parents got divorced, there was even, if you really want to get psychologically deep, it's like, oh my gosh, my parents are divorced. I want to connect with my dad. He likes superheroes. Therefore I must like superheroes, you know? Yeah. Yes, father, I shall become a comics fan. Yes, I, I will. I will. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, Killer Croc's one of those villains. It's like crazy how he's sort of devolved over yeah. the years yeah. to like, you know, yeah. Arkham City. I just hang out in the sewers and, and eat people right. like a, you know, uh, dark and gritty Ninja Turtle. <laughs> yeah, you wonder if him and like, you know, Solomon Grundy have a club. Like, who else? <laughs> Who else are in the sewers? This is why they'll never let me write detective comics. It's like, <laughs> me like you, me like you. Because writers try to swing Croc back every now and then. Yeah. Like right now he's on a an upswing of his intelligence, but that's only long enough for him to show up in some other media where he's bestial again. And it's like, and now he's eating people again. Now he's eating people just like King Shark. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, there's like just yeah there, there's just a whole branch of like flowers for algernon dc yeah. <laughs> it's so true it's such a wacky universe i mean i'm having this conversation tangent again uh where i'm fighting with my editor all the time <laughs> because because um you know they made the stupid mistake of letting me in the door and I'm like i've i've been it's like a dream of all time right and so constantly my my <laughs> My pitches are just completely off the wall and like really globe trotting universe, you know, and I've always said, I've like, listen, I, I think the flash, you know, finding a character and finding why you are going to love that character and why you can write that character. And for me, the flash, my kind of operating procedure was like, I want to go doctor who with this guy. I want to be able to go through anywhere in time and space. I want to have wacky, crazy adventures. And then I want to come back and do like a couple, you know, issues that take place in central city and then i want to go off again um, because i haven't got to play with these toys like this before and you have a character that is limitless i mean they've kind of built him up as a character where 
what like I, I joke about it but like what's a guy with a boomerang gonna do to a guy that can literally almost stop time he's moving so fast you know what's the challenge there so being able to take the flash and go crazy with them and the cool thing is that's totally the lineage of that character like i, I i've been reading these old comics they're bananas they're absolutely bananas and uh i'm just kind of like this is a fun thing to do and so that's definitely I'm writing for 10 year old Jeremy and what 10 year old Jeremy wanted to see when he'd open a comic and be like, this is awesome, you know? And, I, and to a degree, I'm also counter-programming certain things going on in cop and, and it's not bad. It's just, <laughs> I'm making like a kind of classic superhero adventure story that's not gonna have like super violence or like weird, like anything. It's just gonna be like, oh, I can give this to my kid and he can read it and I can read it too. And hopefully we all can have fun, you know? Sorry, that's a big tangent. No, 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 no. that's <laughs> let's get this. Right. That's that, that's what a you segue, baby. That's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like it's like Megan will tell you when I started at Supernatural, it was like there was this moment where they go, um, you know, you start on a in a writer's room, and it was like the first live action show I had been a part of, and suddenly they're like, "Hey, we'll buy you like flats of Red Bull," and I was like wait for free? Like I, I was, like, I don't understand. And then everybody at lunch would be eating salads, and I'm like. They're buying lunch for free. I'll take the double decker pastrami with like bacon and eggs and stuff. And they were, they look at me like, yeah, I remember when we were like that too. And then suddenly, like after two months, I was like, oh, I, I can't fit into any of my clothes. Like, like now I understand why you're back to salads. But yeah, I obviously have energy drink problems and tangent problems. So that makes me the perfect writer for the Flash. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, you have been writing the Flash since Infant Frontier. When the book shifted focus from Barry Allen to the greatest of all flashes, Wally West. Uh, were you a big Wally West fan going into this assignment? You know, um, yes, in terms of animation, uh, Justice League Unlimited, I, I, I think, was like a real fun um, characterization of Wally West. The flash that I read in comics, it was the Wade flash because it, that was when I was growing up. You know, I knew Barry Allen had died, um, and I was, but I was a big fan of the the Flash TV show, the live action TV show. When you could find it, this is a, something that kids will never understand. It's like, listen, you will catch one episode. I remember being so frustrated. Another tangent. I remember GI Joe when GI Joe would happen, and they were doing the Serpentor like arc, and it would be like, I just watched the first episode, and it's like, oh no, I have to, I have to be sure I'm at the same. I think the same time and the same day, I hope it will be there. And the Flash, it, they kept moving it around. And if you weren't on a TV guide, you had no idea. Anyways, I love that. Yeah. I, um, I, I love the Flash, you know, obviously in different incarnations throughout time, but it was always Wally, um, you know, and, and as a younger person, I, didn't, I don't think I saw the difference, but now that I am a father of two kids, it's like, Oh, I can write Wally from a place that I absolutely know, um, except for the speed powers. Well, I mean, aside from energy drinks. Um, <laughs> and so it, it became a lot easier for me. And as I, as you know, as my run up to Flash, part of the reason what had happened was they, I had done um, Future State Black Adam and uh, Future State, uh, a backup in Future State World War Superman. And um, my editor, Mike Cotton was like, hey, do you have any ideas for Flash? I'm like, heck yeah, Quantum Leap and Flash, let's do it. You know, <laughs> I mean, 
like oh, okay you know i think my enthusiasm like pushed him over the board and i was like let's do that so that was also a way for me to kind of find him and find the voice of him and what i wanted to do with him in terms of uh the flash family because williamson's run which was so long and epic and john's run and wade's run um williamson's run had a lot of speedsters in it and that was super intimidating and i just wanted to kind of pull back and focus on wally and and even going forward in my head as far as speedsters i want to gradually pull them in my my hope and my absolute desire would be that you know that the book would do well and then it would do well enough that i could sit there and say hey let's do this twice a month or let's do a flash family book because i do feel like one of the one of the things i would think would be great with the flash and something that they haven't done is position them like Superman's family, like Bat family, like give these other characters um, platforms that other writers could play off of and run on. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I want to see more about Bart. I want to see Jay Garrick, World War II, you know, tales. I want to see, you know, Barry Allen do his thing. It would be really cool to be able to have a separate book or something. But the only way that happens is if, you know, sales are enough that they can go, yeah, we can totally rationalize not, not mm -hmm. doing that book and doing this book, you know. But I keep... You know, I keep bugging them because I'm so far, it seems like it's going well. I don't, you know, they're all very nebulous about it. It's just like, <laughs> how's it doing? It's like, it's fine. It's fine. You know, but I don't think they want to tell me exactly how good or how bad it is. Or I might usurp that. Like if I get the power, I'd be like, aha, I'm not taking your notes. Forget you. We're doing what I want. <laughs> you know? So it's funny when you talked about the, the Flash TV series, because I love that show. And I, you know, I followed it wherever, whenever it was yeah. daring there's one episode that was preempted for some news <laughs> event yeah. and I've never seen that freaking episode <laughs> and, and I'm sure it's streaming somewhere, <laughs> right. but there, there's part of me that's like, I kind of like the mystique of there being this one yeah, episode, one episode of the show seen. that I've never seen. That happened. I, I was working at Blockbuster when I moved out to LA and um, I had this like existential crisis. It like freaked me out and I was putting away D, uh, like it was VHS at the time. I was like looking down and I look up, and I see Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones be on the screen and, and he has a beard. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening. And I like start having this panic attack. Like I missed an Indiana Jones movie. Like I was like, I, what, how, you know, and I didn't realize they had done a whole cold open with him and in young Indiana Jones uh, that Frank Darabont had directed or whatever. And I, I was watching this thing play out and I, I, I was not doing work. I was like, I don't understand. I don't understand. Like I was like, I don't know. It was crazy. But yeah, I agree with you. The Flash TV series was great too because like Danny Elfman did the song, the music. And and I don't care what anybody says. That was like the best Flash costume, <laughs> you know? I'm like, everybody's doing that kind of like pleather, you know, mm -hmm. stuff. And I'm like, no, no, no. That dude looks jacked and it looks awesome, <laughs> you know? Mark Hamill. Mark Hamill, trickster. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see that? I worked on a show called Young, um, uh, Justice League Action. Oh, sure. Did you see that one guy? Yeah. One, uh, I forget. Uh, was it Shannon? It might have been Kevin. I'm not sure, but wrote the episode where Mark Hamill plays the Joker and the trickster and Mark Hamill. Yeah. Yes. Oh, it was so great. Very good. It's a, so great. A fun, fun show to do. Oh, yeah. Vastly underrated. And again, Cartoon Network screwed the pooch on that with that. 7 a.m. on yeah. a Saturday a morning time That's slot. the second time they've nuked me. My first uh, credit 
uh, was on, um, my first two credits were on Green Lantern, the animated series. Oh. And again, an incredible series, an incredible series that is, uh, wasn't watched as much. And, and I, I put that I squarely at Cartoon Network's feet. Oh. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. No argument there. Yeah. What are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You know, we've, we've talked about sort of the flash as, as counter programming. Yeah. Uh, you know, with everything that Wally has gone through the past five years since rebirth, you know, does giving him sort of the the domestic happy ending where he's reunited with his family and he's having, you know, uh, especially in the last few issues, some more of these like one off, you know, Peter Parker style adventures where like he's got to balance superheroing and his and his job, uh, you know, which isn't to say that Mr. Uh, Terrific is a, is a J. Jonah Jameson type by, by any stretch <laughs> right. of the imagination. But, you know when you've had that the, that kind of like past five years of bad things happening to Wally West after, you know, a decade or more of just being forgotten, quite yeah. honestly, you know, does that, does that make it feel more like, you know, uh, bold new direction? You know, right. Like, well, what, if, what if Wally was happy? <laughs> right. Right. No, I know. I, I have this, I have this internal conversation all the time because part of being a writer and part of being, uh, in entertainment is, you know, carrying a, along a huge weight of imposter syndrome. <laughs> and, um, and it feeds into that because you're like, hey, listen, if everybody abuses the puppy and I don't abuse the puppy, then suddenly I'm a great guy, <laughs> you know? And is it like, is it because I didn't abuse the puppy? Like, or am I a great guy? Like, you know, there's, there's one of those things where you go, um, there's this great, I always tell young writers this, there's this great uh, commencement speech you can look up of Neil Gaiman. And he talks about, you have to be two of these three things. And um, the three things are really good, great to work with and um, on time. Yep. And I can never ever tell if I'm good. And, and that's just because of the fickle way that art is subjective. And, you know, some people want to die on a hill saying it's not, but the reality is that we all like certain things and we all like, don't like certain things. Mm -hmm. And I've been hired because people go, your dialogue's amazing. And I've been hired because they say your dialogue's garbage, but I like the way you do action. So like, I can never tell if it's going to be good or not. I can only control the controllables, which is I'm going to be nice, like the nicest person you can work with. And I'm going to always get everything in on time. And so that being said, when it comes to the flash, you know, there's a certain amount of like, I'm just, I'm trying to do the job as best I can. I'm trying to have fun doing it. Um, but I don't know in terms of the perception, it's really easy to get lost in trying to chase people's um, reviews and if they like it, if they don't like it and stuff. I don't know. I do know that I've got a lot of outpouring of support and people very excited that Wally is not getting hurt. And so very early on, I said it as like both a promise and a threat, which, which was like, you know, as long as I'm writing The Flash, Wally will never be hurt, you know? And it was one of those things because if you don't buy it and then the next guy comes in, you don't know what's going to happen. But I have a feeling his throat's going to be cut, you know? <laughs> like, uh, I, I, I hope people, I hope it's good. You know, all I can do is the fact that I'm having a lot of fun and getting away with what I consider, you know, murder. Like when I did the episode, the issue that's like half, the fact that I got Kevin McGuire to draw this kind of like legion of supervillains 
and I'm such a Justice League International fan. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that, you know, Wally is slapping Lex Luthor and all this, you know, like it, it, it was like, I'm looking around like, is DC just as upheaval that they don't know what's happening and I'm just getting away with it and ha ha ha, you know, like running on. And that's what I feel like every month a lot of times. The the issue, the last issue, the one with um, Ira and Flash, mm-hmm. um, you know, I wrote that with my daughter and it was like, my daughter, broke out the whiteboard and I broke it into three acts and I got her some LaCroix and we sat down and, and we ate sex and what should we, and she's like, Oh, maybe his name should be Dr. Nightmare. I'm like, great idea. You know, and we were having so much fun doing it. And I'm thinking I'm getting paid, <laughs> you know, and, and then, and then we ship it off. Um, uh, so, I mean, to answer your question, it's like, is it, is it good or is it just that I'm like, I'm, I'm not kicking the puppy. I don't know. I don't know. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I hope that in my head, I've got enough stories for a, a, a long stretch of time. And my challenge right now as a writer is that I am trying to convince people above me to let me do those stories. <laughs> and, um, and sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't. And because there's, these aren't my toys, mm-hmm. not my toy box. I work for a company. Um, I'm trying to have as much fun as I can, but sometimes it's just like, hey, I want to do this. And they go, no, you can't because X, Y, and Z. Or mm-hmm. no, you can't. And I'm not giving you a reason. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I so far, you know, it's one of those things where overwhelmingly I've got a lot of great reviews and people have been telling me really nice things. But then you have something terrible where, you know, not terrible, but I, I remember seeing a review today that was like, this is the worst comic ever. And I was just like, really? I mean, is that a little extreme? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not just a little over. And they're just like, no, it's it's terrible and it's awful. And this person should never write. And I'm like, well, listen, I mean, what a wonderfully you know. nuanced and well-written tale. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, well, I mean, maybe they're right. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. So I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I, I just hope that I do write by Wally. And and my my take on Wally is, you know, it is that kind of Ted Lasso take. It's like he, because he's gone through all of that stuff, he has a uniquely hopeful outlook. Um, and I talk about it. I think, I think my take on Wally really came to fruition in the annual number one from my run, where it's like part of that was like I wanted to take on that very divisive time of Heroes in Crisis, and it was important for me to work a way out of it so that I liked Wally, you know, because it, it, I think for Flash in particular, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a book of hope and it's a book of fun and it's a book of adventure. And it's been fun to see people tweet like, Oh, they're not trying to kill Wally anymore. Maybe I'll come back. And I'm like, yes, come back, come back to us, you know? (laughs) And I, and, and I'm trying, I, I want it just to be this like beacon of light in the middle of the DC universe in a way. And I want people to know when they come to this book, it's just going to be bananas. Like you don't know what they're going to get, you know? And even we've set up this in 775, uh, the glaive that's been traveling through books in the last few issues has landed and we kind of expose what that is. And that will like, we'll follow up on that in the next couple of issues because my, my job is, because I'm an avid TV watcher, uh, loved X-Files, loved Buffy, 
And I love the idea that it's like, we're going to do two kind of standalone issues or, or, you know, episodes. And then we're going to do an episode that deals with the overarching, you know, Mm -hmm. thing. And so I've, that's kind of how I'm approaching the comic book is like, we'll do two to three kind of grounded, uh, maybe hint at something. And then we'll go on a, like an extended, like serialized, like three or four issue run and then go back, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of as a comic reader. Cause it's, cause man, like waiting a month is tough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like, you're sitting there and you're like, it's a cliffhanger. I'm like, but a month, like I gotta wait a month. <laughs> you know, It's hard. So I don't know. I, I told Joshua Williamson, I was like, it's not fair. You got two books a month. What's going on? <laughs> you know, come on, just give me two books a month. No one will listen to me. <laughs> I, I, I do like I would that. read it that idea of kind of going back to that, like, you know, we'll do a few monster of the weeks and then we go back to the, the, the conspiracy to kind of bring it back to X-Files, especially because, you know, the way that we've all become trained in the last 20 years or so to, you know, everything is a six issue arc, everything, you know, we're, we're, we're all reading and, and, and writing uh, for the trade. So it's just like rising action, rising action, rising, you know what I mean? And, and coming from the, the decade of like, Every once in a while, let's do a quiet issue. Right, right, right. Let's, let's do that good little, that good, good character work. Like, right. You know, you, you miss that. And you also miss, you know, I mean, look how comics started. I mean, everything was like a, right. a, a done in one more or less. Right, right. In eight right. pages. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I grew up. And, and, uh, and I don't think there's any right way or wrong way. I just know that, like, if everybody's doing this way, then I think there's value in just doing this way, you know, mm-hmm. just because it gives us something different and a variety and i and there's a little bit of relief and the, the reason i said the ted lasso thing because it's like you know the world's going you know the world's all falling apart or whatever and then here's mm-hmm. this you know this bright shining spot where it's like believe yeah buddy you know you're like <laughs> oh I, okay great this is great i needed this you know <laughs> you know and so with the flash I, that's kind of what i feel like i feel like i don't i and i also feel like for me, like if you watch the old Star Trek series or whatever, it's like you can get away with more. You can have a conversation about philosophical issues, but there's no reason to make it so maudlin and so heavy handed. There are mm-hmm. moments for that. There are moments for, you know, um, like if I was if I was writing a different book, that might be different. Um, because to me, the Flash is just uniquely this. Mm-hmm. It's a character that I have Mr. Terrific talk about it in the last issue in the 775. It's like, he, he might be the most powerful character in the DC universe. And everybody kind of like, you know, glosses it over. But if, if physics holds and force equals mass times acceleration and you have infinite acceleration, you know, the reality is that this guy, what's his challenge? What's the challenge going to be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so finding fun ways to explore that and explore his power base, you know, if you see it off, oftentimes if he gets hit or something like that, it's usually because he's not, he's looking that way, you know, mm-hmm. and somebody's kicked him from behind. Cause it's like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. Um, and he can't just obviously be traveling around at Mach eight because he'd be blowing people up. But, you know, um, uh, I like the sense that here's a guy that has, um, insurmountable power and he might wally might actually know it too wally's seen enough gone through enough crises you know uh mm-hmm. moved faster than the speed of light 
you know, he sat in the, you know, Metron's chair. Like there's a certain element of like, I think he knows it. And because of it, he, he, I mean, it's something I would love to explore because I don't know, I, even I don't really know where we've, where we sifted out in terms of continuity. Mm-hmm. And so there's things that I'm able to just kind of attribute from older runs. And I'm just kind of like, yeah, okay, that happened, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm having fun being able to piece that together, but I, I think there's more to Wally. I think there's, I think it's not just fun and games, even though I love that he has dad jokes and I love that he is having a good time because man, you know, anybody that's gone through extreme trauma and come out and kind of reclaim their life, it's really, you get a perspective. I mean, I, I feel that way. It's like, I've been dirt, 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 poor. And then when you're not dirt poor, you're like, oh, well, I survived that. So if I have to go back to that, it's, you know, I'll be okay. You know, and I think that's Wally's perspective. It's like, I've seen too much. I've seen, I've seen people resurrect. My kids were gone. My wife was gone. They're back. So really, what, what are you going to do to make me feel bad? It's like, you can't, it's almost an impervious shell, shell in terms of mentally. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm just running, rambling. <laughs> So you just mentioned him, but you've added Mr. Terrific to this book yes. as Wally's boss. Yeah. What made you want to bring Michael Holt into this title? It was an accident. Um, I, I'm such a huge uh, Blue Beetle fan, Ted Cord, um, that like I, that was one of the first books I had gotten was a it's modern comics, but it was a Charlton comic, mm. uh, Ditko. Uh, Blue Beetle, him versus the squids. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever, you know? And um, I wanted Ted Court. I thought, oh, it'd be cool. But I didn't know that Dan Jurgens was doing his blue and gold. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were like, well, who else do you want? I go, okay, I'll do Mr. Terrific. Mr. Terrific to me had always been uh, emotionless, you know, in a way. So I don't like that, <laughs> you know? So I was like, wouldn't it be funny? I mean, if he's like this super, super smart guy, um, having him roll up into this like quickie oil lube place and finding out that he's so smart, he's also franchised out certain, you know, it's like he's such an entrepreneur that he's done this, but he's also like the best boss ever. It's like, yeah, you work at the oil place, <clears throat> the health and dental's great. But if you work for me over here, the health and, and you get free lunch, you know, which is, which is, uh, is a DreamWorks uh, thing. I mean, they do that. They do that out here at a lot of studios where it's like free breakfast and lunch. I'm like, what? Like, that's real. That's amazing. You know? So having Mr. Terrific come in, it was like, you know, again, it's like, can I, can I push his personality for me to make him a little less Vulcan, a little more like, um, he's 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 a genius but he's an entrepreneur and he's a scientist and he's a discoverer and and you give him a little bit like and of course he has a fast sports car because why wouldn't he and you know of course he has labs in strategic locations throughout the world you know there's there's a little bit of like buckaroo bonsai that like i i kind of like building into mr terrific which which is kind of cool you know and um and and i that's kind of what I'm going with until somebody stops me. <laughs> now I need to see him play the guitar with Jeff Goldblum. That's right. That's right. That's right. Is somebody crying out there? 
Yeah, yeah. And Clancy Brown. Oh, Clancy Brown, man. He's one of those animation voices that um, mm-hmm. him and Mark Hamill, that everybody, I've worked at Warner Animation for a long time, and they all say like, oh, oh, you haven't met Mark? Oh, you haven't met Clancy? Like it's short. And I'm like, no, I haven't met the Kurgan or Luke Skywalker. And if I did, I would lose my effing gourd. You know, like I would just, I would lose my mind. I don't know if I, I would just be like, have Halloween ladies. Like I would just be spouting Highlander quotes and I wouldn't be able to stop. You know, it's like, it's terrible. And Mark Hamill, I would just, I would break down and cry. It would just be a blubber. <laughs> it really would. I, I would like to think that I would have some sort of like, I uh, I did a Flash Lego movie, and um, and uh, Dwight Schultz, you know, Murdoch from the A Team, you know, that's how I know he uh-huh. was the voice of Reverse Flash. And Jim Krieg, who's like my mentor boss, gave me like an A Team lunch pail, and he's like, "You gotta get him to sign it." And he walked in, and I was like, "Murdoch is here." And I somehow can't speak anymore. Like, you know, like I was just like, <laughs> didn't get him to sign it. I just sat there and went, I can't believe Mad Dog Murdoch is here. Like, I was just like, I was so thrown for a loop. I really was. It was terrible. I work in the arts. I work in a theater. And I worked at a theater for many years that got a lot of plays that were going to be going to Broadway would stop here as one of their last stops before Broadway. So there were a lot of like, uh, cool. Yeah, and at one point it was like James Urbaniak was in a show. That's Doc Venture, and yeah. I'm like, right. I have all my seasons of the Venture Brothers sitting here, and I was like, but I don't want to be that guy. I want to be fun. professional. I don't want to be the guy who's like, can you sign my Venture right. Brothers, please? Right. Or John Glover. It's like, right. can you sign right. my Smallville right. or my th- this disc from Batman the Animated Series with the Riddler on it? Please? Yeah. It's like you don't <laughs> want to be that guy when I, you're yeah. sitting. Be that guy. I'm I'm I've changed because that was like yeah. thing. I was like, huh, I should have done that. And and uh Jim, um Jim is Jim Creek, he's shameless, like he's absolutely <laughs> shameless. We did Soul of the Dragon, mm-hmm. and he brought nunchucks to the record so that we could get pictures with Mark Dacascos with nunchucks. And I was like, Yeah, okay, we're gonna do it. And then there's Bruce Tim, who's just like and, and then finally, Bruce is like, give me the nunchucks. You know, and he's doing it. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you need somebody like that to push you overboard because, um, and, and then that's the same way. It's like, oh, I, I wanted to meet Stan Lee, but I wanted to meet him, you know. And then I was like, no, he's getting older. I like, I paid the money to go get an autograph or, you know, to get the picture with him because I was like, I want to tell that guy that I love his work, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, and what he means. Because to me, Stan Lee is just the narrative voice you hear it's like hello true believers you know like when i was growing up <laughs> spider-man and amazing friends and the hulk animated would like mm-hmm. back to back and it was always like let me tell you a tale i was like oh my gosh this is gonna be good you know like it was just such a strange thing um but yeah i i'm i'm less i'm more like i'm just gonna go up and tell that person i like them i worked at a, a like i told you a blockbuster when i moved to la and this one was frequented by um celebrities mm-hmm. And uh, sure enough, like Lou Frigano walks in and I'm like, the Incredible Hulk is in the store. The Incredible Hulk is in the store, you know? And I, I like went to shake his hand and I have like baby hands next to his hand. <laughs> I mean, he's just, he's just giant paws. And I'm like, oh, I'm a big fan, you know, like trying not to lose my mind. And Michael Keaton came in one time and he had his card, but his card was for his real name, which was Michael Douglas. And I was just like, I didn't know that. I didn't know Batman's real name is Michael Douglas. Like I was like, I don't know what's happening, you know? And so there was always moments like that, but I, 
I just started being like, I'm huge. I remember uh, at, at the time I was like an assistant manager and I saw Sam Raimi and he was mm-hmm. coming up to, to, you know, check out. And I just kicked the cashier out. <laughs> and, you know, Sam Raimi's like, I, oh, it, like you have a $45 late fee. I'm like, no, you don't, Sam Raimi, you know? And then I'm like, I, you're one of the reasons I went into film. Like, Evil Dead and Army of Darkness are the greatest things ever, you know? Like, I, and he was like so nice in his little suit and tie. And then the next person comes up who I don't know has like a $2 late fee. And I'm like, you're paying that, you know? <laughs> this, guy, this guy made millions of dollars for a movie. I ain't able to pay nothing. But you, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah, I, I'm now trying to be more and more just like, just tell him, just tell him you'll regret it. if you don't. I eventually got over it enough to offer Ben Vereen, one of my wife's homemade cookies, oh. and he loved it. And to tell Keith David, who I had on the phone buying tickets that oh, I love gargoyles. I, I kind of wish oh. I'd gotten him to record my outgoing voicemail message at work, but that, Dude. that probably would have been a bit much. I would have <laughs> lost my mind. Cause it's like, he of course is in the best fight scene that has, has ever been put on film with They Live, with Roddy mm-hmm. Piper. And then Ben Vereen actually spoke at my college graduation. It was, <laughs> and he started breaking out into song and stuff. I'm like, this is awesome, man. <laughs> you know? All I known him from was like Roots at the time, you know? And like, I think he was an uncle on different strokes, <laughs> you know, like in the back. That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds right, right? It's like, yeah, he was, he talked to Gary Coleman. I know he talked to Gary Coleman somewhere. <laughs> It was him and Mr. T and Nancy Reagan. It was a star set yeah, They were everywhere, right? <laughs> it's true. And you know what? I'm like, I dropped my phone. I, uh, I, you know, I love the Expendables series because it's really like a, a genius move by Stallone. He's like, well, I'm just going to put all these people in a movie. Like they're GI Joe's. And I'm like, where's Mr. T, man? Like Mr. T needs to show up and just start throwing, pit, pitting the fools through windows. <laughs> you know, and I would happily, I would happily, I've thought about this. I've talked about it before, but like one of my goals is just to get like, thrown through windows by action stars or like hit on the head and when i worked in supernatural my first um my first uh post scooby natural episode was like a roadhouse movie and i was like can i get hit in the head with a bottle like you know like all these things and like no and i'm like but can i get kicked through the window no you can't jeremy i'm like this is stupid you know i was like i became a writer to get my dream is to get kicked by van damme in some capacity you know and i'm like there's got to be a way. I just need to put out the call to any young filmmakers. If they need somebody to be a henchman or to get a shot, like I'm your guy, like I'm the guy, I will do it for free. Like, you know, let me be the guy to just get beat up all the time. That'd be great. That That's your new Twitter bio. bio. Just please defenestrate right? me. <laughs> oh, it was great. If you go to IMDb, it's like, here's your writing credits. And then it's like, henchman one you know thug three you know guy who gets decapitated like those are the the credits you want you know <laughs> absolutely you know it, it's funny this is this is skipping way way ahead in, in in the notes but i you know i was curious about kind of your experiences with voice actors how how often you get to interact with them and like yeah. looking at the cast of soul of the dragon like we already saw the mark Dacascos, but i mean yeah. james hong i mean that's yeah. a last chance to see yeah. guy yeah. Lopan, right there. Man. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? It's like, I love Big Trouble in China, Little China more than anybody. I mean, I love it a lot, you know? And and that dude is, first of all, he's in everything. Tango and Cash, you know, I obviously the greats. Big mm-hmm. Trouble in Tango and Cash. Uh, Wayne's but, World 2. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so having him in there and then Michael Jai White, who I'm 
you know, huge fan of because I love martial arts stuff. The reason I, I think the reason I got the job on Soul of the Dragon is just because um, I wouldn't shut up about martial arts and DC martial arts in particular. I think DC has the, the most defined and like cool martial arts like uh, characters. And I would always bring it up. It was terrible. And I would always say like, oh, we should do Edge of the Dragon with Batman. It'd be cool. And then I guess Bruce, Tim um, had the same thought. Like he's like, I want to do like a, a, you know, Enter the Dragon thing with uh, with Batman. And so the minute he said it, everybody's like, oh, you gotta go. You know, you gotta <laughs> do this with Jeremy. You know. And I remember we like, Jim Creek <laughs> was like, listen, Bruce is gonna come in, and you know, our job is just to be, you know, listen because he's Bruce Tim and you are not. And I'm like, yeah, okay. And so Bruce comes in, and I hadn't met him, but I hadn't really worked with him. And he goes, yeah, yeah. I don't want to just do Batman Enter the Dragon. I want it to be Batman the Enter the Dragon and Big Trouble Little China. And I was like, oh my gosh. And so then it was like, Bruce and I really hit it off. We'd have these like four hour conversations. 30 minutes would be about Soul of the Dragon. And then it was like three and a half hours where I'm going like, no, no, no. You got to see Lone Wolf McQuaid. Chuck Norris is buried. And the first thing he does is put a beer and he puts it over his head. And he's like, no, you're insane. And you know, we're looking up YouTube videos. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. So Mark DeCoscos, who... I'm I'm a huge fan and I told him I'm a big fan and he was like oh and like first of all nicest human being on earth and he's like oh thank you and I said no 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 you don't understand I could sing you music from only the strong you know I've seen crying Freeman and Brotherhood of the Wolf and like you know and he's like oh you're a real fan I'm like oh I'm a real fan <laughs> like like I'm trying not to lose it you know and Kelly who it's such a great cast like you could basically transpose all those characters into a live action version and get an equally awesome movie, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was cool. I mean, it was cool because usually they don't let us do, um, you know, I think that's kind of like Bruce's clout. It's like, it's a Batman movie where Batman is the most inept martial artist, but, but, you know, all these other cool characters and Batman is significant. Like, you know, it's the formation of his personality and, just to put it in the seventies, that music is just rad, and so and and people are really upset about the ending. And I was like, "Have you ever seen a seventies movie end?" It's like you know that is how like every John Carpenter movie ends. It's like, well, which one's the the thing? It's like, well, you know, <laughs> it's like there's a certain amount of that. So, anyways, yeah, sorry. He said no. so, so you just said on you. Who is the greatest martial artist in the DC universe? Because that was the the one time I got to interact with Denny O'Neill. Really? That was what I asked him. What did he tell you? Well, he said Batman would always win. And I'm like, and I was like that's really? not like, a question. Well, yeah, he's like, yeah, exactly. he'd, he'd, he'd find a way. And I was like, so he'd cheat? And he just kind of yeah, gave yeah. one of these. Hmm. So, so for me, um, in DC, like they have all these cool martial arts from the 70s, right? But when Chuck Dixon took over, like especially the Bat books, I started seeing like a lot more... Um, codifying it and even when gail simone took over birds of prey or whatever but for me it was like i he did a richard dragon mini that i thought was so rad and like i'm a huge richard dragon fan because of it and i was like richard dragon's the guy because to me it was shiva was the girl but then i was like but richard could win against shiva but then cassandra kane was so good that she beat Shiva and they've since retconned some of this stuff that I ignore completely. And then, uh, you know, black canaries obviously become really good too, 
But um, to me, it's always like Richard Dragon, people are like, yeah, but Bronze Tiger. I'm like, yeah, I mean, listen, I, you could you can make the fight weathered too. And then Shiva. So those were like the top three martial artists I wanted in that movie anyways. Mm. And the other piece of that movie that was fun is, and one of the things I like doing and being able to write and especially in like a comics universe is like filling in some of those mythological holes because I knew that Katana had a sword and there was a twin, but I couldn't find them talking about the twin everywhere, anywhere. So I was like, well, great, we're gonna make the twin, you know? And so it was like, oh, this is great. So this is like the twin of that sword and has kind of similar but different powers. Um, the same thing with, you know, in the Flash run is being able to like tweak and play with different things in the Flash universe. And to me, fill in holes and gaps and have fun doing it, you know? So I don't know. <laughs> It's hilarious that Dixon McDaniel, Richard Dragon had yeah. just dropped. And I had been having that conversation about martial artists when I was working in the comic book shop with people. When I went into a Barnes and Noble and there was signing tomorrow, Denny O'Neill. It's like, well, I'm coming back tomorrow and I'm going to ask him the question that we were literally just spent three hours in the comic right. book shop trying to answer. That right. worked out very well for me. That's awesome. That's that was um i haven't found i think i found a comic book shop that i could go in and have those conversations that's why i liked going to comic book shops because you would have those arguments or whatever about things and there'd be some comic shops that were very snooty you know that were like we're not talking about anything buy your books you know or whatever uh, but that's why you go to a comic book shop it's like to argue about stuff like that but yeah chuck dixon's uh and mcdaniel they i mean their run on nightwing was so awesome and they they really developed dixon in particular i'm i'm really fond of because he he really made the he gave a lot of structure to the bat books in a way and it was also like he did the tim drake stuff so well and then it was like building that relationship with dick grayson and tim drake was just so awesome the way that he did it and they would kind of float in and out of each other's books and then the bird of prey and and then batgirl he was like you know the bat editor for all that stuff uh it just all seemed like it was all cohesive and all part of the same universe and i just loved it i just loved it I, I also, God help me, I'm doing this, ho am hosting a Batman podcast. Wow. And we're not doing any, we haven't gotten to any of that stuff yet. But I was, the episode that will be dropping this week, I was commenting how there was that entire six to seven year period where it was Dixon on Detective, Doug Mensch on Batman, and Alan Grant on Shadow of the Bat for that entire period. Yep. with Denny O'Neill riding herd on the line. And yep. so it created this very unified Gotham. The, this, even if they were running different plots, the same cops would yep. be there, the same mayor of Gotham. There'd be little subplots that would pop in and yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't as cohesive as the Superman books where they had the, the triangle numbers where you'd have to follow oh, yeah. from book to book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The book had its own thing, but it felt like there was one Gotham. Right. Even more so than any other time during that particularly intense period of collaboration. Yeah, I love that stuff. I love that. So good. But yeah, back to Flash because that that first arc, as you mentioned, you had you worked with a ton of different artists. Yeah, doing. How involved were you with picking those artists? Were there some artists that were just kind of offered? Or did you like, I would really love to have Kevin McGuire. So Brandon Peterson, you know, he was doing, he was anchoring it, right? Mm -hmm. So he was going to do all the stuff in the speed lab from book to book. 
and um, or you know with uh, Mr. Terrific Ollie and Barry. Uh, outside of that, that a lot of that was cotton. Aside from me begging about Kevin McGuire and um, Fernando uh passerin so so a lot of that was just kind of like cotton going well, i think this person i'm like all right dude you know because i can barely dress myself so if you have like the ability to say that this person's art's great i'm gonna be like i trust you and he was i mean kudos to him he really he really figured that out and it was a bear i think to bring on a different artist every but i thought it was cool i thought i thought it lent a really distinction to the different timelines that we were jumping into and it and and for somebody who's starting out in comics what a great way to kind of like see the different stylings um obviously the kevin mcguire thing had you know a legendary nostalgic purpose for me and then fernando i he did all the black adam future state stuff for me and um for me i mean he's he's the one who's doing all the heavy lifting and so he's the guy that um going forward i'm hoping to have him on as much as i can for whatever reason he translates what's in my head uh just inc incredibly well and it's even more so like you know he's such a humble guy he'll be like oh i was feeling sick today so i didn't get the the best work done and then suddenly he'll send you this thing you're like shut your face like it's like there's like a thousand things happening like even in 775 it's like you see people in the background like kicking people and stuff that i didn't put in the script i mean i put like oh yeah it's bedlam and people are angry at each other and he really just kind of like went off on it and and it was like a big lesson in in Black Adam Future State, because again, I'm new to this, I'm learning how to do this. And one of the things that, that he kept saying to me was, you're giving me such fun things to draw. And I thought, oh, I think that's important. <laughs> you know, like, like I would hate, and this is not disparaging anybody. I'm just saying, I would hate to give somebody a book that's just people talking like in each panel over and over again. Mm -hmm. And I, I would be like, oh, that would probably suck for the artist. Like, you know, oh, and they shift an angle and they shift. Instead, it's like, yeah, and in this page, it's going to go crazy and this is going to happen. And it's like, I, I could see them going like, oh, that's fun. That's cool. You know, so Fernando is has been incredible. And he did a huge part of that, the annual, obviously. And then he did 775 and he'll do 776. And, and 776 is a, is, I just hope people understand that I'm having fun <laughs> and that they just, they just come along for the ride <laughs> because, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah the, the tease at the end of 775 about the most meta issue of the flash and, ever. I'm like, by the way, Whoa. I didn't write that. So, so <laughs> I, I, that is not, I was like, we need to raise the bar. We need to just put it like, Hey, the next issue, meh. You know, like something like that. So people just kind of go, oh, and they just walk into something good by saying it's like, well, this, this is going to be the most meta. I was like, that is not on me. I didn't say that. You know, <laughs> so sometimes that happens when I forget to put a, a, a thing at the end. <laughs> so that happens a lot. They're like, what's the title of this issue? I'm like, oh, shoot. I have no idea. <laughs> you know, it's so stupid. I'm still learning. You know, that's how I put it up. I, I love it though. Somebody, somebody, you know, had the, had the, the, the sense of the thought to be like, you know, that Daffy Duck cartoon where it turns out Bugs is at the drawing board fucking yeah. with him. 
Yeah. Well, totally. this one punches that cartoon in the face. Exactly. I'm like, wait a second. It's not that crazy. <laughs> this is the hey, universe yeah. where John Ostrander got Grant a Grant Morrison analog eaten by hyena people. That's this right. is going to be bigger. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, that's the thing. I'm like, man, you can't stream stuff like that. There's some incredible stuff out there, you know? Oh, gosh. One thing I'm always curious about when it comes to the sausage being made metaphorically when it comes yeah. to shared universes um you did the two-part heat wave story that lined up sort of with him moving over to be a member of suicide squad in the page of ram v swamp thing right. how did that work out did you have a heat wave story in mind and it was like well we're going to use him so or did editorial be like hey we're going to be using heat wave over here do you want to write the story that lines him up with that yeah it's funny sometimes i know about it and sometimes i don't like wally showed up in son of kal-el i don't, I don't know <laughs> you know like, like uh 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 with heatwave it was like my editor and i were talking about you know again we had just come off this giant uh trip through bodies and so it was like okay let's do a couple grounded issues Hey, uh, I think Cotton had come up with the idea that Heatwave was dying from cancer from the asbestos suit. And I was like, that's hilarious. And I mean, terrible, hilarious. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, you should have known. <laughs> you know, it's like, man, I'm smoking cigarettes because the Surgeon General said it was healthy for me and I got cancer. So um, I knew that and I knew we were going to do that, but I didn't know. He, I think it was like, okay we'll have him get help or whatever. And, and he said, well, why doesn't he just go like Waller shows up? I'm like, yeah, okay, great. I didn't have any clue, you know? So there's some Machiavellian planning from Cotton, I think, that's just like, hey, why don't you just do this? And I, I don't know if it's just like a technique that he's, he's you know, found from working with other people. Like, I don't know. So, so I didn't know he was going to Suicide Squad. I didn't know he's going to, or is Ram V's, right? Is Swamp Thing, he said? Yeah, yeah I mean, he was on the Suicide Squad Body, in yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know that they were going to do that. And it's, um, it's always funny to me, you know, like, uh, luckily, my friend Tim and I, Tim Sheridan, who does Teen Titans Academy, he and I talk a lot. So like, I'll know. <laughs> you know if if a character pops in or if i and then you know some of the the veterans started telling us like hey if you're going to use if you want to use a, a character from somebody else's book you know ask them you know mm -hmm. and i was like oh okay so so that's kind of been my going forward what i what i try to do even though i haven't really had the need to do it yet you know mm -hmm. so um, but if I do, I'm always asking like, Hey, what's going on with this character? And then somebody will tell me, and it's funny how some people don't even know, like, they're like, yeah, I don't even know what's going on with them. It's like, Oh, okay, great. Then I guess maybe I can borrow them, <laughs> you know? And then, and then there's, there's disparity between different, you know, groups and everybody has planned for something and you don't want to ruin somebody else's plan. So you know, hopefully editorial gets it together <laughs> when that happens. Because I got from, I, you know, it was funny on 775, there was a big double page spread with all, with a bunch of villains. And I put villains in quotes because really it was about like the glaive was putting out all this energy and pulling, mm -hmm. making people crazy and, and coming toward them. And people were like, oh my gosh, I can't believe Pied Piper's there. Is he a villain now? And I was like, well, A, um, I forgot how much of a part of Wally's life 
Pied Piper was, and B, there's been five reboots since then, and C, <laughs> um, they're not necessarily villains. They're just being called to this thing. Some of them mm-hmm. are villains and some of them aren't. Um, but I thought it was a way that we could get around any continuity errors that we might. But there was, I put a bunch of people down and then I'm like, I hope major force is still around, you know, <laughs> like you know, literally just resurrected last week in suicide squad. Right. It was perfect. Oh, it was all planned. Total continuity. It's not like lost at all. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, but that's a funny thing. Like, so, so reading, reading those books, you know, especially like Heatwave and then you get the little note that says, oh, follow Heatwave to, to Suicide Squad. And like uh, the, when the, the glaive was crashing to earth, like uh, follow uh, Jessica Cruz. Jessica Cruz, you know, yeah. Like, this is amazing. Like, this is how, this is how, like you used to see shit in, in, yeah. in comics. It was, it was yeah. like, oh, you know, you could, you could figure out like which raindrops Captain America was, was dancing between when he guest right. stars in like Fantastic Four or whatever, you know, but it just got to the point where it was like, well, we put Wolverine in every book. So, uh, right. I, yeah, it's weird. I mean, I, it's funny because I have this conversation all the time. Like, I love captions. I loved captions growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, know, why, you go read blah, blah, blah. You know, it's like this happened in this issue. And it was like, it gave me something to go look for, you know, mm-hmm. and they kind of, they kind of pulled away from that. I don't know if they thought it was like too childish or whatever. I even like narration too, but that's a whole other thing I have, I get in trouble for. But um, <laughs> uh, uh, I agree because um, I, one of my formative reading experiences are like, I love Mark Grunewald's books and Marvel was such a big deal when um, I was reading the Captain America No More. I remember at that time it was like Peter David was doing, uh, you know, he just meshed the gray and green Hulk together. It was one of the best meta jokes ever. It was like inside Bruce Banner's mind, was the gray Hulk, Mr. Fix-It, like at a golden door and the Green Hulk's trying to get out. And he says, look, Lou Frigano. And the Green Hulk turns around and he slams the door <laughs> shut. And I was like, that's awesome, you know? Uh, but Grunewald was doing Captain America No More where Steve Rogers became the US agent. And I remember them crossing over with Armor Wars, you know? Mm-hmm. So like Tony Stark was trying to get back all his tech. He, during that run, they crossed over with Fall of the Mutants. Uh, and it was like, they kept, they would have an issue they would dip into it and it was such a cool way to to remind me of what's going on in another book and maybe get me excited about the other book you know and i thought it was a smart way to give me a preview and maybe oh maybe i want to read that you know and i know with armor wars i did it was like oh my gosh what why is tony stark doing this i must go find out now <laughs> you know well now we're getting to the soul of the dragon section it's like okay we covered this we covered this we covered yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, your notes probably look like the questions corkboard. It's like, it's like <laughs> string and yarn everywhere. Soul of the Dragon is one of my favorite things. I was, you know, there are a lot of, I either get people go, I really love this and they get it. Or the people that are just like, this is stupid, you know? So you just go all over the place, but I love it. It's one of my favorite I, things. I loved it. It's, uh, it's one of my favorite of, and I've seen all of those DC animated yeah. features. <laughs> and I love that it was original story. Uh, Here's one that we didn't. What came with changing Richard Dragon to a character of Asian ancestry? I mean, it's obviously was, there to avoid. Well, yeah, I guess. I mean, I'm I'm not sold on all of that. You know, the 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 controversy around it. I know that's probably in politic to say. You know, in terms of um, the white savior trope you know, the iron fist thing, you know, different things. I get, I get where people's coming from, but like, you know, I remember one of the most functional 
relationships growing up was like, oh, look, Iron Fist is a white guy and Power Man is a black guy and they get along. That seems like that should be the way, <laughs> you know? And um, with, with Richard Dragon, I think it was more of Bruce. Um, I guess the original Richard Dragon book or where Richard Dragon was, um, uh, what's it called? Shown up in uh, the paperback. It was like a paperback book. I don't, I, I forget the name of it. Anyways, it was a paperback book and there was like a Richard Dragon and on the cover, he was painted Asian. And so I think Bruce in his head is like, and that's the way he is, you know? And it was like, so, so it was kind of hearkening back to that old book. And it was also giving it a, a, a nice diverse flair because I mean, I get it. You don't want to have like, you know, you can only go so far with that stuff, you know, at a certain times. Like I love Iron Fist. I love them. I love what Matt Fraction did with Iron Fist, but I I, I also loved Shang Shang Chi. I'd say Shang Chi now, even though I've been saying Shang Chi since I was like two in 1970, whatever. And so I, I'm like I'm like, what is happening? I, I mispronounced this the whole wrong. I I'm I write Mortal Kombat stuff. It's Shang Tsung. Is that wrong? Is it Shang? I don't know anymore. Anyways, um, so with with him, it was like, you know, Bruce is the one who wanted to do it. And the minute I knew Mark DeCosco's responsibility, was like, and I want to do it too. <laughs> you <know? laughs> but, you know, that was, that was a Bruce thing. Bruce wanted to do that. You know, I, I listen, I'm, I'm all for redhead Richard Dragon, especially the way he was uh, put together. But it's an Elseworlds world's tale. You can do whatever you want, you know. Mm -hmm. People can live judo masters there, you know. It's like uh, we kill off Jade, you know. <laughs> it's like... Uh, there's some really cool stuff that we were able to do in that movie that to me just felt very indicative of the time. But it's also cool because, you know, I grew up with Bruce Lee and Brandon Lee and like, there's, those were my heroes too. So it's not like that big of a leap, you know? And I, I also think Bruce was like, I want to do my own King Chi, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. So. It was cool. And then it all kind of felt, I mean, this is stupid, but this is little tidbits. I don't even know we didn't do a, a commentary on the on the DVD, but there's little things like the fact that he is the dragon and there is the snake god and he is it is a type of serpent. And in the opening scene, you see him fighting while eating an apple like Adam and Eve and the serpent in the garden. Like we were trying to tie all these little bits together and it, it I don't know, it was awesome. <laughs> I, I, I will say, uh, you know, one of my favorite like sort of like I had to like just pause and really absorb what was just happening. I'm like they got black dynamite to call Bruce Wayne a turkey. <laughs> I, Michael Guy White, have you ever seen his um, black dynamite? Obviously, you have because you just said it. It's mm -hmm. the greatest like send up of seventies black exploitation movies, mm -hmm. and um, he's a genius. I mean, because I think he wrote and directed that. I'm not. I believe so. Yeah. 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 And it's just like. When I saw that movie, it was one of those weird things where I'm like, why isn't he getting bigger movies? You know, like he's obviously really talented behind the camera. He's talented in front of the camera. He got his start not doing martial art movies. It was like, I think he got an Emmy nod for doing, uh, was it Mike Tyson? Or like, a, it was like a Tyson thing for HBO. Hmm. And it was like, so, but he's absolutely ripped and he knows like 12 martial arts and, um, you know, he's spawn. You know, like all this stuff. And and it's like, man, he is just, he is so awesome. Uh, but him, 
the minute it was like, okay, we're going into this kind of enter to the dragon thing. He, he knew it was like, mm -hmm. you're, you're black dynamite. Like, let's just be real. <laughs> you know, Michael J. White understands the assignment. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And if, and if, and if, if he doesn't, it's really, you don't understand the assignment and you better get on the same page or he's going to call you a jive turkey and punch you in the face. <laughs> no, <laughs> I would pay money for him to punch me in the face. Though, so, you know. <laughs> now, was there any, any amount of like reading the, you know, like, like obviously you had, you went in and you had your, uh, you know, inspirations, big trouble, little China and, yeah. and, and Enter the dragon, all of that, you know, was there any sort of reading some of those, those seventies DC martial art comics like Cobra or anything like that to, to kind of get a feel yeah. for these other, you know, some of the, the, the more obscure characters they were using. Yeah. I mean, I, I known a lot of them because like I said, I was steeped in DC martial art lore, mm -hmm. but also um, Bruce would be handing me graphic novels and stuff of things he wanted to see tonally. And then I went deep into some other like really pulpy books um, because uh, Bruce has read every paperback that has ever existed. <laughs> and I think if it's a 70s paperback, he's read it twice, you know? And mm -hmm. I remember talking, we were, we would just be talking about movies and stuff. And I talked about my love of, you know, weird movies like Remo Williams. And I had said, oh, somebody had just told me the the Destroyer books are really good that they were based on. I didn't realize that Remo Williams was based on a book series. And so he was like, you, you know, yeah, they're great. You know, you should you should read that and this and this is and then suddenly I've read like twenty six of these Remo Williams books, The Destroyer, and so it was kind of like getting in that mindset. And it was really funny because um, I would write things. I'll give you an example. There's a scene with the Hatchet Hatchet Gang that are attacking in the the bottom of Batman's you know Bruce Wayne's club, and I had written it being a disco, and I had said you know I wanted the tagline to be like you know all these dead bodies are everywhere and he'd be like you know disco's dead anyway there was something stupid it was like an 80 <laughs> and bruce was like no this is 1974 disco didn't show up till 19 blah 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 mm -hmm. like he, he was policing that to the wardrobe and everything and he was like no that didn't happen until 1978 and it was mm -hmm. like oh okay i didn't know you know so it, you know but then all the the old Denny O'Neill stuff. And we just, we were just reading all that stuff. And it was just kind of, it was kind of cool. I, there's something about those Batman books that were just so, kind of detective noir-ish that they were simpler, but you know, I don't know how to describe it, but it just felt like there was also a lot of tension there. You know, there, you know, his thing with Silver St. Cloud. And I remember mm -hmm. one particular book where it was like, you know, he's out on a yacht and he, he has a escape hatch underneath the yacht while the party's going on so he can go investigate like radioactive stuff. And I was like, oh, I love that stuff. That's, it's so much, it seems quaint compared to what's happening now in a lot of books, but I dig it. I dig kind of like the, you know, boots on the ground detective, you mm -hmm. know, I'm not always on a gargoyle. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm being Bruce Wayne here and doing that stuff. I, I, I like that. I like that variation. So something I was curious about, you know, we talk to comic writers about fight choreography. They often give, you know, all praise, full faith and credit to the artists they're working with, you know, saying some variation of, you know, uh, I provide a general outline of what needs to happen, but ultimately the artist develops the, the, the blow by blow, uh, you know, with animation, 
what is sort of the difference there? Do you have to be more specific or, or do you know that, you know, they're, they're going to draw whatever and, and make it look good. So um, uh, interesting. I, I have a, I think I have a difference than some people like a, I love martial arts. I love mm-hmm. that stuff. I love fight choreography. So I will absolutely overwrite the fight uh, choreography. And I, and Bruce actually, <laughs> he's like, why are you writing all this fight choreography? And I was like, um, because Rick Morales, who I've done like 10 movies with, who's an exe- another executive producer over at Warner Animation, mm-hmm. um, he said he really appreciated it. And I said, oh, because I didn't want to overstep my bounds. I never want to overstep my bounds. He said, because if the storyboard guy doesn't have anything, this can be a great springboard for him. If he does have something, he can ignore you. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's one of those things where I'm just writing and I'm having fun writing. And that's part of the fun I'm having in writing. But I don't get offended if somebody doesn't do it. You know, if I put um, like in Mortal Kombat, um, Scorpion's Revenge, I was like, Johnny Cage comes up and does like a spinning Van Damme kick, you know, and they did that, you know, they did it exactly right, you know, or whatever. Or he does this, he blocks here, he does that. And it's like, some of them, yes. Some of them, no, you know, they have a better idea because they're geniuses and they're artists. And, um, and with something like animation in particular, I feel like it's, I feel like it's much more collaborative in terms of there's so many moving parts and there's so many people putting their input in. Mm-hmm. So you really have to just put your, your ego side and you just have to learn to trust that whoever you hand this blueprint over to know, knows what they're doing. And honestly, every every storyboard guy I've met is so much better than what I could have imagined on paper. Scorpio's Revenge in particular, because I remember uh, I had written the script. Um, we had gotten notes that it was too violent, <laughs> which I was like, what? The like, Mortal Kombat animated Mortal feature Kombat. was too violent? <laughs> I was like, what are you, like, I literally were on a meeting and he goes, yeah, it's too vulgar and it's too violent. And I go, excuse me? I, and I stopped <laughs> the meeting and I said, I'm sorry, did you, do you know what you're making? Like, like I was like, you're insane. Like this, it's the most violent thing that exists, you know? So I pulled it back, like on a scale of one to 10, I pulled it back to like an eight, you know? And then I handed it to Rick and the storyboard guys. And then like six months later, I don't know what, I mean, usually animation takes forever. He's like, hey, you gotta come in and, and <laughs> look at this. And they show me the scene where Hanzo's family's dead and he just goes absolutely ape and just starts killing people. And Jim and I are screaming, we're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And like we couldn't believe it was happening. And, and we're like, this is so much more violent than anything <laughs> I put down. You know, and, and and we were laughing because we were like, they, they put it up to a level. Like, they literally turned it up to 11. I was so sad because that movie came out right when the pandemic hit. Uh, and mm-hmm. um, we had, we were going to, I think we were going to go to New York and see it in front of an audience. I think it would be a perfect midnight. Same with Soul of the Dragon. I wish we would have saw that at like a midnight movie Comic-Con crowd or something mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. it was just like everybody screaming at the violence that's taking place, you know? It, it, it's, it's funny. Uh, I, I'm just kind of picturing in my head like this sanitized version of like 
I don't know, Mortal Kombat babies, <laughs> like a Muppet Babies version of what do you, what do you yeah, mean? Totally. You know, you know and you've got you've got baby Baraka, but he still has blade hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the old animation, uh, there was an old animated cartoon, and I think that's, you know, that handicapped that in a way. I, I think I think it's weird. It's like that, that to me is a franchise that is such a pastiche of all the things we love and, um, you know, ninjas and cyborgs and magic and all that stuff. And it's just at its heart is also very horror driven. And so, um, you know, I don't know. It's fun. It's fun. It's it, I, another thing that, I was a fan of the game, especially the original games and the, and the 95 movie. And, mm -hmm. you know, I had known enough, but then when I got involved and, and there were a lot of kind of like benchmarks and things we needed to hit and also realizing that there's this really complicated mythology. And with the second movie, we we're really trying to make it so that um, you understood that myth Mortal Kombat is not just a tournament there is like a thousand different stories, like sci-fi, weird, magic, earths and realms and combinations and all this stuff that you're just like, wow, okay, they've really blown this out over 11 games, you know? Now, this is this is a stupid question on the order of contractors on the Death Star, but I, I was thinking about this watching the movie. Uh, the scene where, where Shiva ejects herself from uh, yes. Bruce's uh, sports car. Yeah. Now, when that happens, yeah. Does Bruce then have to track down the ejected seat, <laughs> or can we assume he's got a mechanic that specializes in replacing ejector yeah. seats? That's what I think. I think it was in the Dixon run that, that he literally had a guy that was basically building everything, and they've kind of done that with Box in the. Um, in, in, but I think to me he should have somebody. They he, everybody needs a forge. Remember at Forge and X Men. Yes. Like that to me is critical. Like there should be a guy that all he does is just like, all right, ejector seat, click, click, you know, like he just comes in, batterings. Like there's a great market for, for that dude. Whoever that dude is, that's the dude that should be outfitting <laughs> everyone because you can't tell me, you know, is Nightwing getting his electromagnetic sticks like at a wholesaler? Like, what is he doing? Is he spending time? Who's doing that? You know, and that's the thing, right? right? Like, it's not ejector seats aren't just a Batman thing. Like, you know, Q has been like, James, this is the third ejector seat you've cost me <laughs> this mission. <laughs> I know, I know. I love that. You've written all different DC animated projects. You've done right. these films, you've done Lego DC, you did Just League Action, you did some superhero girls. Yeah. Is there one that holds a special place in your heart, excepting Soul of the Dragon? Because we, we've yeah, already been Soul of the Dragon, yeah, yeah. Um uh, uh that's hard. Um you know, obviously for me, uh uh DC superhero girls, um the Lego DC superhero girls brain drain holds a special play, place for a couple of reasons. One, um, they weren't even, I wasn't even up for it. It was just, but Jim was like, uh, there was a time crunch and he's like, I only know one guy that can turn this around quick <laughs> and it was me because I have a reputation for being able to turn scripts around really, really fast. And so it was my first DTV. It was my first movie. And on top of that, it was like, I just had a baby girl. And, um, and I remember when I found out that we were having a girl, I remember going, I remember verbalizing like a total idiot male 
you know, saying, uh, oh man, I want to be able to have a boy so I can have lightsaber battles. And, and I had this friend of mine that was a girl like slap me and say, <laughs> you, know, you know, you can do that with girls, right? And I was like, what? And it was like, it was like the scales fell from my eyes. And like, I suddenly, you know, could hear. And I was like, this is, huh? And then, so I had this Lego DC superhero girls. And then I did a sequel to that. And then I was doing some of the, um, the other version, um, the, the version that was on YouTube. And, and suddenly I was doing like girl centric stuff. And I was like, this is awesome. And now it's like, my girls are like, oh, I love the second one. And like, they love it. And, it, and my daughter, my oldest especially, is far more of a superhero nerd than any boy in her classroom, you know? <laughs> and so there's a special feeling there because it's like my first DTV and it was also like this girl-centered thing that, that my daughter really dug. And, and so that was, that was really awesome. I can hear them too. Food. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah. So I just, because... I, I, I was a fan of Supernatural, literally from episode one. Me too. So, need to. How did Scooby Natural come come yeah. about? Because that, that that is Crazy, up there right? in the pantheon of great Supernaturals. That you know, it's so weird. Is um, it's a weird feeling to be in love with a show from from episode one, and it be on long enough that you might actually get to work on it. Like that is bananas. And so, uh, backstory: love the show from the beginning. I had known Andrew Dabb when he was just writing comic books. And um, my cousin had introduced me when I was an assistant at a producer. And like, oh, you got to meet my friend Andrew. I met him online. He lives in Utah and he writes his great scripts. I'm like, uh-huh. And then they sent me one of his scripts. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> like, this guy is much better at writing than I'll ever be. And so Andrew and I met. And Andrew got on the show the fourth season. And I remember because we celebrated I took him to Sizzler, <laughs> like when he was out here, like I think he flew out for an interview. Anyways, we've been friends, uh, you know, he'd been doing his thing, I've been doing my thing, contact every once in a while. I started working at Warner Brothers Animation and what had happened at the time was, um, I think they were planning to do a Scooby-Doo Dukes of Hazzard, uh, right when everybody was like, hey, the Confederate flag should not be on the car. <laughs> So that got scrapped. And then I know they were doing a WWE thing, I think mm -hmm. with Hulk Hogan, right? When you weren't supposed to be doing something with Hulk Hogan. So they were like, what are we gonna do for Scooby-Doo? And I was like, you've got to do Supernatural. You've got to do a, a, a Supernatural matchup. And, um, and they absolutely said to me, that's the stupidest idea ever. And I said, huh, I think it's not a stupid idea. So over the next like, almost like two years, I think. I kept sending them like memes and sending them stuff like, I'm telling you, it would be amazing. And so Jim, smartly, um, at that time, Andrew had just become the showrunner for Supernatural. And we were having a conversation and I was still pushing for Supernatural to have a Scooby-Doo crossover. Jim's like, have you ever thought about asking Andrew? And I'm like, I'm sure I have. I'll call him up. And I like, texted him he was like heck yes and then i was like oh crap now you have to you have to get sam registered to okay it and jim went outside and there was an entertainment weekly with the supernatural stars on the cover and he grabbed it and walked in the office they want to do a, a spinoff or they want to do a crossover for the live action show 
can we do it? And he's like, I love it. And it was like, within a half an hour, it was all like sewn up. And we we're like, this is weird. And so Jim and I kept, this is our experience all through Scooby Natural. We thought they were going to stop us every second <laughs> of everything we did. We had the budget meeting and it was like, uh, this is how much it's going to cost to do the animation. And we're like, well, we're dead. You know, Jim and I are looking at each other. Like, that was a fun idea. And suddenly we hear, oh, that's the cost of renting a warehouse or something. We're like, what? You know, and then it was like, we had to write it a year in advance. And if they got a uh, early pickup and they got an early pickup. So we're like, oh my gosh, this is great. And, um, and again, Jim, Jim's so funny because he's like, we're going up to that set when they do the live action. And so we flew ourselves up. And when Jensen's like, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, we're in the background. You can see us in the background. And, um, but we're like, they're not going to let us do this. Like either on the live action side or the animation side um, for like, you know, them having an existential crisis about heaven and hell or, you know, that, that Dean says some like cuss word or whatever, or it's really violent. And Spike Brandt, who directed the animation, who's, you know, a genius legend, when he brought, when he brought us back the first, the first storyboard, the animatic, and it was like so gruesome when you see the first guy dismembered. And I kept thinking like, someone's gonna stop us. Like someone has to stop us at this point, you know? And there was even more we wanted to do. Like we were gonna do the Scooby-Doo opening with the original Scooby-Doo song. Um, put two, I think that the general thought was like, we were gonna do a Scooby-Doo, um, like Scooby-Doo-Doo and like little scenes, but we wanna do little scenes from Supernatural as well. And it just got, it started getting bloated, you know? And then, um, but I mean, it, it was done. We are looking at each other. Jim and I were looking at each other like, at a certain point, you just don't know if people are gonna like it or if it's just really too far afield. And they had a premiere at the, it, they premiered it at Paley Fest here in Los Angeles at the Kodak Theater where they do the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And they had the, the mystery machine next to baby. They had somebody dressed up as Scooby-Doo taking pictures with, and it was so insane. And Jim and I are just going like, I, this is, are we ever going to get above this? Like, this is, this is too much, you know? And then they showed the episode and people were laughing so loud. They were laughing over other jokes. And we're just like, <laughs> this has ruined us, completely ruined us. Like, this is, this is ridiculous. So, you know, to walk into a show and be able to do a very meta episode, which those are my favorite episodes of not just Supernatural, but Buffy and X-Files, Millennium and all that stuff. It's like, that's really fun to do. And that was the catalyst to uh, me becoming a writer on the show as well. And that was funny too, because they're like, hey, we just want you to come up with bizarre ideas. I'm like, great, here are 10. And we're gonna start, <laughs> we're gonna start with the least crazy and get to the craziest. And I said the least crazy one and they looked at me and they're like, that's too crazy. And I was like, uh-oh. You know, so I knew I had like a roadhouse thing in my back pocket I could pitch. I mean, I literally pitched all 10 and I don't think they picked one because they were too nuts. And um, even the second episode that I did, I remember having up on my my whiteboard in big, bold letters, mostly to rankle people, time traveling vampire ninjas. And I remember people coming by and they'd be like, hey, I, what? <laughs> they're like it's a great it's a great idea time travel vampire ninjas i got it all planned out you know and i, I watched like, that 
<laughs> I even wanted to do an episode where it was like, it's just an episode. It was basically Back to Future to it. I just wanted to, them to show up in older episodes, filling in plot holes and like loose threads. Like it would be like, you take the old footage, but you just pan to the right and there they would be, you know, hiding <laughs> behind a wall. Like, all right, now, <laughs> you know, like, da, 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 da. but um, that was, a, it was an incredible experience. You know, I hope to do more live action because there's a lot of fun to be had there. Now, you've also, I mean, you've written Scooby and other uh, forms, Lego and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when you know that the basic beats of a Scooby-Doo episode are the gang visits a haunted whatever, snoop around, get spooked, run through doors that somehow loop back around to the same hallway. Right. Uh, Velma tempts Shaggy and Scooby with a Scooby snack or comically large sandwich. They finally catch the monster. It turns out to be old man blankety blank. Yeah. Does that make the stories easier to write or does the challenge lie in sort of figuring out how to make those beats, you know, uh, come at those beats from a new angle. If you talk to Scooby fans, I've never done it right. Uh, but uh, you gotta um, stop reading those comments. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, uh, so Jim is, is a classic Scooby. Like he's very hardcore Scooby-Doo a certain way. Monsters cannot be real, you know? Um, so, it's easier. I think the fun of it is trying to figure out a new hook. So when they asked, they told me I was going to do Scooby-Doo Zombie Island, Return to Zombie Island. So the original Zombie Island was like, it was real cat people and zombies, you know, and, and Jim was like, no, we, you know, we can't do that. So it was like, how can we do this? And it's definitely not going to be as dark as that other one was, because this is more of a family friendly Scooby. It was like, I know what it needs to be, but now how do I try to trick you as an audience member so there's still tension in that? And um, that was probably one of the hardest projects I ever had just because we thought we had some guest stars. We didn't have guest stars that we thought we were gonna have. And we were re I was rewriting it a bunch of times and mm -hmm. it, was, it, was a, it was a hard row to hoe. And, and, then, and then you try to do things like I wanted, I wanted Velma to get so stuck in her head about it not being real that she starts going insane. Like I wanted her to be like, we're never leaving this island until we solve this mystery. Like I wanted her to be so hard. And then, you know, I got the note back like, no, you cannot do that. You know, you can't do that with Velma. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, and so that happens with Scooby, it happened. It, it's happened a couple of times where there's kind of heavy handed ideas about what you can and can't do with Scooby. And, um, and sometimes I win and sometimes I lose, <laughs> you know, I mean, I would, I've done some, I've written some Scooby stuff that has never seen the light of day, but they've paid me for it. And, uh, and it's really bananas. So I don't know, you know, it's, that's another piece of the pie where maybe someday. Scooby can get real, but I mean, they had the Halloween one last year where they were fighting the scarecrow. That's the scarecrow. The scarecrow. Scarecrow. Yeah. But when I was growing up, Scooby-Doo, that was, you know, growing up as a nerd, and it's like, when they would have Batman and Robin show up, it was like such a big deal, because you you were desperate for any media that would have a superhero in it, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was such a big, big deal. That and Phyllis Diller, for whatever reason, I was like, Phyllis Diller rules. And the Harlem Globetrotters also. Yep. Like, yeah, Classic. Really that really is the big three of, of like, yeah. 1970 Scooby yeah. guests. Yeah. If you got that episode, you're like, and I'll be sitting here and watching, <laughs> you know? So funny. What is as as you know you're you're starting to get into this comic writing realm? You've been in animation for for quite some time. You know what is the biggest difference between writing for the two? 
Um, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit like um, acting in terms of, you know, if you do something that's for video or television, you don't see it for a long time. There's, there's a certain satisfaction of doing it, but you're hoping mm -hmm. people put it together um, versus doing something on stage and you get immediate response. Um, animation, super collaborative. You do your job, you build the blueprint and you hand it off to the builders and you, you hope in two years when you see it, that it lives up to the hype that you remember doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And and it is both aggravating because you're you kind of disassociate yourself from the project in a lot of ways. And then somebody goes, Oh yeah, by the way, this movie that you wrote is coming out. And you're like, oh my gosh, you're like you've totally <laughs> forgotten about it. Like completely forgotten about it. This year I think I had three movies come out. And it was like those were movies that I had written years ago. And mm -hmm. I and I I was so flabbergasted and it's so excited but you're kind of removed from it so you can kind of watch it with a different eye but then you get caught up in the reviews and the media and stuff and and it's funny because people ask you all these questions you're like what was i thinking two years ago when i did this you know <laughs> comic books is is different and it and by the way the weird thing is the venn diagram of people that you would think uh watch the animation and read comic books they're not as closely knit as I thought. It's like a totally different um, group of people. So I thought, hey, I'll have a leg up writing comic books because the people from animation know that I've, I've lived with these characters in some version. Mm -hmm. and, and, oh, no, they, they're like, I don't even know who this guy is. It's like, oh, okay. You know, I didn't know that. Um, but the, the comic books, they're monthly. And so you, you get a kind of quick, it's a quick turnaround between script and art and all that stuff. I mean, I'm months ahead with my, my comics. I'm just sitting around going like, I'll take anything else you got. Cause uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've written like two years in advance. So uh, no, uh, uh, but uh, there's an immediacy to it. That's really nice. It's really nice to be like, Oh, I, I, you know, people are starting to see these threads come, come into fruition and, and hearing people's responses. And yeah, people are terrible, you know, generally, uh, uh, you know, you get a lot of good stuff. I've been very fortunate. Um, I have friends of mine that just get, you know, knocked around and it's terrible because people don't have, you know, people need to learn a little empathy. And, you know, when you do art of any kind and you put it out there, you're going to get criticism, but hopefully people are respectful about it. You don't need to tag the person in it for goodness sake. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, that's the main difference for me. There's an immediacy to it. That's really satisfying. And it's it's slightly addicting. I mean, I got to tell you, I'm 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 way too addicted to it now. And I'm like, oh my, give me anything. You got to fill it. I'll do it. You want to do a Nort special, two page spectacular? I'll do it. Like I'll do it all. Like give it to me, you know. And I just get this look like, oh, we're, we made a mistake with you and Flash. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, those, those those seasonal anthologies are just just waiting. There's that's right. That's right. <laughs> Oh, the North that saved Christmas. Come on! Do it now. You would read that book. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, because that's 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 a play on the Grinch, but instead of the dog being the right. psych, the dog is Works. and then he's got like a Grinch sidekick, and I'm sure there's some little <laughs> Deck Star. Deck yeah. Star. Done. <laughs> Done. Love it. Love it. <laughs> oh. oh man. So uh when you're not writing all the things uh what are you what are you reading right now um so i had never read i i'm a big fan like i went i told you i got off on the the destroyer run 
And then I, I loved Edgar Rice Burroughs books and I had read all the John Carter Mars a long time ago. I love those books. And I had never read the Tarzan books. I read, I blew through all the Tarzan books. I love those. And then I was like, of course, this is not highbrow entertainment, by the way. I remember being in the writer's room and somebody saying they were, they had read War and Peace for the second time. And I'm like, I've read 26 books about the dark elf Drizzt de Warden. I have never read, <laughs> you know, I can't even say his name. Like I, you know, any of the classics, I was like, oh man, I'm terrible. But you know what? I, I love what I love and that's what it is. So mm-hmm. I got the Robert E. Howard Conan Omnibus and I'm about, uh, you know, two thirds of the way through it. And, um, and it's funny because I was like, oh, man, this is the same story told a you know, different way, like <laughs> 18 times, you know, but it's great. And then there'd be like a really uh, like weird kind of like off kilter one. And it's really good. So I'm reading that. Um, in ter- uh, were you asking actually about books or comic books? Does not have Either to just does not have to be comics. Because Firepower is so awesome, mm. uh, 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 which is awesome. And then um, I was catching up because I. I don't get free comics. So I'm always on like Marvel Unlimited or mm-hmm. uh, Infinite. And I was keep I was catching up with like all the the Chip Sadarsky's Daredevil, which is so flipping awesome. Mm-hmm. And um, on the DC stuff, I'm, you know, I'm burning through everything that comes around because I'm just trying to keep keep in mind what's happening. Sure. Um, and Williamson's doing some Robin martial arts stuff. So I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read all that, <laughs> you know. Um, but other books, I'm always, I'm always like halfway through like three or four books, you know? Um, but yeah, those, those are the main ones right now. Cool, cool, cool. Well, Jeremy, this has been a, a fantastic uh, hour, fantastic conversation. Final question, uh, yeah. how can people follow you online and oh. keep up with The Flash and everything else that you have going on? Yes, uh, the main thing is on Twitter, uh, Space Kicker, Twitter. Twitter slash space kicker. That's my thing. And then from there, I have the link tree in my bio that shows you different places, but that's mainly where I, I do my pimping. So <laughs> can you say that anymore? I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> it used to be, that was a thing that when I was growing big pimping, not yeah. pimping was a thing, but like, you know, yeah. spending yeah, G's. Yeah. We've all I'm been there. This interview is over because it is just taking a turn. Uh, <laughs> it's like that. What if, did you ever see that? What if where Conan was in modern age? And yes. He, yeah. And he, beats a guy up and takes his change and he thinks he's rich but he has like 225 and change <laughs> and then he becomes a pimp and i was like whoa gosh this is crazy i didn't even know what a pimp was when i was reading that book so <laughs> anyways yes so space kicker twitter there you go all right jeremy thank you so much for coming on the show thank you that's it for this week's show as a reminder wmqna is part of comics xf where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, Chris is on Infinite Earths, and the new Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by our own Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQA on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQA at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, Shoutouts on the podcast and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail for my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Cat Purcell from ComicsXF, 
and Asimov Fangirl, aka the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, when there was one set of footprints in the sand, that's when the Hulk carried you. WMQA.